You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Today we bring our sermon series on the book of Exodus to a close. We started all the way back in January, and today we bring this wonderful book to a close. And when we opened this story, we found God's people in a time of transition and tension. Because even though they were blessed by God, it was clear that they were a people that was blessed by God. At the same time, they were a people that would be oppressed by the government and by the Pharaoh. A new king was in town. And this new Pharaoh took a very dim view of those people. His ungrounded suspicions of the foreigner led him to treat them with contempt. And he enacted policies and and governmental plans that were cruel and violent, even going as far as ordering the execution of their baby boys by drowning in the Nile River. Even early on in the story of God, we see that the targeting of violence in the womb is an evil, clearly. These people are in a bad situation. They're in the tension of being a blessed people, but simultaneously being an oppressed people. But we would soon see that this story was not really about Israel versus Egypt. It was not really about Israel versus Pharaoh. It was about the God of Israel versus the gods of Egypt. And we would see that the oppressing of Pharaoh would be no match for the blessing of God over his people. The oppressing of Pharaoh would not be able to push back, annul, or overturn the blessing of God on his people. Not possible. And that blessing was not just abstract blessing. It was blessing that was specifically attached to and resulting from God's promise. And the primary mode through which God's people experienced that blessing was God's appointed mediator, Moses. And we noted back in the beginning of our series that the the very title of the book, Exodus, means the way out. And after the first chapter, we could clearly see why this was a people that needed a way out, couldn't we? We could see a people that was in the midst of affliction and despair. A people that was desperate for a way out of enslavement. And what we noted is that they weren't the only ones who were desperate for a way out. Desperate for a way out. This is exactly where this biblical text finds each and every one of us today. All of us are looking for a way out of something, whether it's a way out of our own selfishness, a way out of a sense of our own worthlessness, a way out of our own cynicism that won't ever let us enjoy anything because we're waiting for the bad news to happen. A way out of the things that squash the flourishing of human life, steal our joy, rob our peace, steal our gratitude, and make life miserable. We are looking for a way out. 
And what we see is God's way out in this story. It takes, takes the shape of a mediator. What we see in this story is that there is no way out except God's way out. And God's way out is always through his chosen mediator. God always leads his people out through a mediator. There is no way of getting out without a mediator. Moses, as Chris prayed earlier, was born into the condition of his people. He was born into the despair and the hardship of his people. He was born into their troubles and had the same death sentence hanging over his head that his people had. The reason why he was a fit mediator is because he was able to identify with God's needy people. He was one of them. And so must God's mediator be as the story unfolds in time and we come to Jesus. The reason why he is uniquely suited to rescue us. We noted that the people, based upon what we witnessed in chapter 1, they were not able to just walk away from their problem. They weren't able to think their way out or spend their way out or earn or work their way out. They couldn't just turn over a new leaf. They were not able to self-will themselves out of the problem. No, they had to be rescued. And the message continues on down the line to us today that our truest, deepest problems are not problems that we can just walk away from. Our situation is, is no different in its essence. The deepest problems that we have, we cannot walk away from. You can't think your way out of it. No, I don't care how many books you go read. I don't care how many motivational speeches you go hear. I don't care how much self-help you get. Do it yourself, spirituality. It doesn't matter how many people you get around you to confirm your existing thinking at the moment. None of this will get you free. None of it can get you out. You must be rescued. You cannot, and I cannot, just simply turn over a new leaf. You won't be able to spend your way out. Try as you will to buy things, to purchase things, to earn more. It's not going to get you free. The message of the book is there's one way out, and it is God's appointed mediator. Preparing our hearts. Rescue is necessary. Rescue is what we find at the center of this book. The Lord, we saw, heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew how to take liberating action on their behalf. And not only would God act for his people, he would also judge those who worked oppression. What we saw is that salvation always comes through judgment. Anytime there is salvation, there is judgment. God will not allow evil to go unchecked, we see in the book of Exodus. There will be a reckoning. There, we, there will be a calling to account. But the question that each of us has to answer is this. The tension we have to resolve is this. If God is judging the evil out there that we see and we lament and we despise, then if we're going to be consistent, we must ask the question, what is, what is the, 
the situation for me when God comes to judge the evil in here. What am I going to do? And we saw God's people as a people covered by the blood of the Lamb. Obviously directing our attention to the greater and truer Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. God worked a series of mighty acts on behalf of his people. And he began to build institutions for his people, giving them the mandate to live as his treasured possession, as his royal priesthood, as his holy nation. God knew that the only way his people would ever be any good to the world is if they lived as a people deeply loved by him. They had to live as a deeply loved people to know that they were valued and treasured by God, that they were his treasured possession. You have to know that you're deeply loved to be any good to the world. Because unless you know that you are deeply loved, everyone else will become your competitor. And you will fight with them and try to squash them down to rise up for yourself. But God's people don't have to experience life in that way. Do you see how God wants to form his people? He forms them through his mighty acts of salvation and judgment. He forms them through the institutions that he gives them. He forms them by giving them a way of life on Mount Sinai. Not just a law code. Don't think like the legal code of America. He gave them a way of life. And he gave them that way of life for the benefit of their neighbors. For the good of the world. He knew that they would never be any benefit to the world until they were sufficiently distinctive from the world. They had to be marked by redeeming love. They had to be marked by holiness. They had to be marked by a faithful promise-keeping God if they were going to be any good to the world. He wants them to be a blessing to the world. God's plan B is what? C, plan A. God's plan was always to bless the world through his people. Beginning with Father Abraham, he renewed this promise. Be a blessing to the world. Fulfill my mission. And not only this, but God would promise to dwell among them, wouldn't he? He would dwell among his people. He would take up residence in the midst, in the center of the tribes. The 12 tribes making one big circle around the God who was at the center. God was saying, I was always meant to dwell with you. I've always wanted to, and I've always been meant to be in the center of my community. And the, the only times that you see ruin striking Christian communities is when that center has been replaced. Nothing else was meant to occupy that center. Not politics, not socioeconomic standing, not any of the many things that we have tried to replace that center with. No, God alone belongs at the center. He's always longed to dwell among his people, to live in the center of his community. And here's the the powerful and beautiful thing as the story progressed, we would see that even their rebellion, sin, and ingratitude would not stop God's plan because he made provision for atonement and he was a God committed to restoration and his chosen mediator stood ready to hold up the covenant before the Lord and his people to bind them together. The book of Exodus is the paradigm for salvation in the Old Testament scriptures. 
It's the paradigm. It's the pinnacle of the Lord's work in the Old Testament. But we have made every effort throughout the course of this series to make it clear that this book was always meant to serve as a setup for the greater rescue to come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We mentioned that many people have appealed to the Exodus for their own stories, to give them hope and despair, to give them courage. Communities from all around the globe, we find it in Latin American theology, the appeal to the Exodus. We find it in, in Dalit theology in India. We find it in historic African American theology, the appeal. And it's beautiful that everyone can find in the Lord God a rescuer and one who will rescue and save them from physical bondage and spiritual bondage. And we must always remember that the fullest climax of this story is found in Jesus. He is the yes and amen to every promise in this book. He is the final picture of every institution in this book. He's the fulfiller of the law. He is the Exodus himself. He's the Paschal Lamb. He is the bread from heaven. He is the struck rock giving nourishing water to his people. He is their tabernacle dwelling among us. He is the God of glory. The book's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And it's only when we see it being all about Jesus that we can begin to see how it's related to us. We began with Israel in the house of slavery, and now here at the end of, of the book, we, still, we see God moving into his house. That's the movement. We go from slavery to salvation to worship to mission. That's the movement. It's always been God's trajectory in the lives of his people. If you want to get clarity on your life, look at your life through that lens. From slavery to salvation to worship to mission. The book began by talking about the way out. And at the end of the book, we see God's way forward. We get the way out in this morning. We're going to talk about the way forward. You see that in this text? With the pillar of cloud and fire, the people stay still. They wait patiently. As long as the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud is there over the tabernacle. But the minute that that pillar of cloud or pillar of fire moves, when God's ready to move, then it's time for us to move. Not a day sooner. And as long as he says wait, they wait and they worship and they prepare for mission. But when God moves, they move. They are now seeing the way forward. This is not a people that's used to progress. They're used to being stuck. But now, after they have the way out, there is the way forward. Recently, I've been taking my kids distance running with me. It's been nice. We have enjoyed it. It's been fun. Uh, they enjoy getting out there and running with me and seeing new things. And, and, and I enjoy having them come along with me, mostly because I get to slow my pace down. You know, 
sur sur survive a little bit better. But I want them to establish some healthy patterns in their life. And so I, I think that running long distance with me will serve them well. And so yesterday, I took my man Elijah, I, I took him out to push him a little bit. I, I wanted to push him to, to see what he was able to do. And, and I, I took him out to take him on, on this long run, and then after this long run, I was gonna swing back around and, and get Tiana and Lorenzo. And I, I had the route planned in my head that Elijah and I were going to run. I knew exactly how far I was planning to take him. And I had just the right route picked out, but I, I chose not to share any of that information with him. I just wanted him to focus on something very simple. It wasn't important for him to know. I wanted him to focus on one simple instruction that I gave him before we set out on the run. This is what I said to him. You don't have to worry about anything except this. Follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. Follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. I knew that we were going to be running through the city. We were going to have to cross streets. There, there could be dangerous circumstances, but, but he didn't have to worry about any of that. All he had to do was follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. I knew the best route for Elijah, and he didn't. But he didn't have to know. All he had to do was follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. My head was constantly on the swivel for danger. We do live in the city. I was looking for cars. I was looking out for people. I was looking out for, for dangers. Elijah wasn't, but he didn't have to. All he had to do was follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. Elijah ended up going farther than he ever realized he could go. That joker ran three miles with me at an 11-minute pace. Farther than he ever would have known he could go. All because he followed one simple instruction. Follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. In verses 34 through 38, we are giving the closing picture of Exodus. And the narrator shows us that the Lord gave tangible proof that the mediator was successful in restoring them. Why did God come down in all of this glory with all of this scenery? Because it was the tangible proof that the ministry of the mediator resulted in their restoration. They were back. They were back home. They were restored through the ministry of the mediator. This was good news for them. And then, after this, the narrator essentially tells us that the, the Lord turns to Israel and says in so many words, from here on out, the only thing that you have to do is follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. There's going to be some desert up ahead. There are going to be enemies up ahead, dangers that you cannot see and dangers that you can see. There are going to be times that threaten you to fall into 
fear and despair, there are going to be uncertainties. There are going to be community challenges. People are going to wound you. You're going to fail at times, but you don't need to focus on any of that. You have one simple thing that you have to do. Follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. I will take you farther than you ever realized you could go. I will take you promised land kind of far. I will take you new heaven and earth kind of far. I will take you blessed to be a blessing kind of far. I will take you new heavens and new earth shalom kind of far. I'm going to take you farther than you ever realized you could go. I'm going to take you out of addiction to restoration kind of far. I'm going to take your marriage from broken to restored kind of far. I'm going to take you from rebellion and unrepentance back home kind of far. If you would only follow me. Come on, listen to me. And stay close to me. That's life with God in simple terms. Don't overthink it. Don't, don't confuse it. Don't, don't get all tied up in knots. It doesn't answer every question. I'm sure Elijah had many questions along our route. Like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> like, when is this little run going to be over? Like, what is that over there? Where are we? I have no idea where we are. I am absolutely lost. But I'm sure that Elijah, along our run, never had any fear that I was going to leave him. Never wondered if I was going to abandon him out in Hyattsville. I'm sure this, this little boy never wondered if I was going to endanger him. Now, I'm pretty confident that by now he... He knows that I'm going to step in between him and any real danger. But I pushed him. Did he sweat? Yes, he did. Was it hard work, Elijah? He over here fronting like he's some marathon runner now. He's like, well, you know, I had a little bit more gas in the tank, you know. It was hard work. I saw the hard work in the form of beads of sweat on his head and hearing his feet starting to shuffle as the, as the running progressed. But at the end of the day, I told him along the way, follow me, listen to me, stay close to me. You're doing great. You're doing great, you can do this, because I'm with you. I'm gonna help you. I adjusted the pace at times, just to keep him going forward. It was an amazing thing to see him meet that accomplishment, y'all. Follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. You don't have to take matters into your own hands, friends. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. You don't have to know right now how you're going to fix the mess that you're in. Are you in a mess today? Good news for you, you don't have to know how to fix it. You don't know, have to know how to sort it out. You don't have to know what's at the end of the thing. All you have to do is follow me, the Lord says. Listen to me and stay close to me. 
When the Son of God took up residence among us, he brought this same message to his disciples, didn't he? This is exactly what Jesus brought to his disciples. We love to complicate things. We love to get into the deep, into the nitty gritty sometimes. And you know what? It is a shame when we know 401 theological truths, but we don't live out 101 Christian development and instruction. Jesus came with a simple message. Follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. Here it is for you today. What do you need to do today? Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're young or old, whether you are black, brown, white, whether you are young or old, whether you speak English, Spanish, Chinese, or Japanese, what do you need to know today in order to thrive? You need to hear the word of Jesus to you. Follow me in my life, death, burial, and resurrection. Follow me. Listen to me when I teach you. Listen to me when I correct you. Listen to me when I rebuke you and identify your error. Listen to me when I guide you. Listen to me when I instruct you through my word. Listen to me. And stay close to me. Stay close to me by living out of your union with me through prayer, through community, and through feasting with me at my table. And if you do, you will see something even more magnificent than the glory of God filling the tabernacle. You will see the glory of God filling your life. You will see the glory of God filling this church. You will see the glory of God filling Northeast DC. You'll see the glory of God beginning to fill the lives of our neighbors on the day to day. If you simply hear the call of the Lord, follow me, listen to me, and stay close to me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.